invite you to take a Bible and turn uh, once again to 1 Corinthians, uh, today to chapter 13, page 959 in these Bibles in the pews. As you're doing so, I'd like to remind you that uh, at the end of the service, we will come to the Lord's table and have communion. And on those Sundays, which is uh, typically once a month, we end the service as you exit with what we call a deacon's fund offering. That fund is the only fund we have in our church that's used to help members of our church that may have special needs or are experiencing hardship, but the deacons have decided that this month, this, this fund offering will go through our denomination to help with, with flood victims in Texas and also the, the hurricane coming up the East Coast. So that's, that's where all that offering will go today, and I'll remind you at the end of the service as you exit about that as well. We've been studying 1 Corinthians, just a brief word of review. Um, the Apostle Paul went there for... Um, about 18 months, he, he led people to, to Christ. He saw a church established. It was a port city. It was a large urban center. There were people from all over the world that came there because it was a port city. It was a very religious city with all sorts of pagan religions. Um, they had written Paul a letter. He's far away in the city of Ephesus. And in their letter, they had asked him questions about uh, leadership, about whether ethical decisions about eating meat sacrificed to idols. They'd ask him questions about spiritual gifts. This is the end of the section on spiritual gifts, and they were elevating gifts that were very public, like great uh, teachers, and those with the gift of prophecy, and, and those with tongues, which are kind of two interpretations, speaking in languages that had never been learned in a, in a special language of revelation from God, and and they, had, uh, they were exalting these public gifts, and they were diminishing other gifts, gifts of mercy, helps, things like that. So in chapter 12, he has addressed that, and several weeks ago we looked, we, we looked at it. I had a person at the first service say, you know, I've been in Saudi Arabia, and I was listening to your messages on 1 Corinthians. I said, well, if you go back next year... I probably will still be in 1 Corinthians at the rate I'm going. But at the end of uh, chapter 12, he, he ends by saying, I'll show you a still more excellent way. Rather than emphasizing spiritual giftedness and, and glamorizing that and exalting that, we should be thankful for it but not worship it, he says the more excellent way is the way of love. And that leads us to the chapter. So the context is critical. We often think of this chapter as something that's read at weddings or printed on greeting cards, things like that. And, and it, that's not out of bounds, but the primary context was disunity within the church. So hear God's word as I read beginning at the very end of chapter 12. And I will show you a still more excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Some time ago, I took an appliance. I think it was a television set down to a, not that I couldn't recognize it, but just my recollection is I I took it to an appliance repair place down on Rocky Creek Road, and I I went in, and, and the technician said, look, most people today don't repair things like this. They don't repair televisions or microwaves. They just replace them. They're disposable. We pretty much don't expect things to last. I have several wristwatches that belong to my father and his father before him. Uh, they never would have dreamt of throwing a watch away, that a watch was disposable. And yet, there it is. Two years, and I'll have to replace it with another Casio. I mean, that, we don't, the idea of getting something repaired like that makes, makes no sense. So today we're in a disposable time with, with certain products, but also with attitudes and values. And everything seems temporary. Commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, truthfulness, kindness, uh, something to be involved in for a little while, maybe even a few years, but then uh, perhaps I'll change or I'll, I'll uh, go in a different direction, kind of like an outdated appliance or Polaroid camera. And Paul tells us here at the end of the chapter that there is something permanent, and, and it's love. But just a quick review of what came before in, the, in verses 1 to 3, he described the priority of love, and he said that love should be our chief aim. Remember, there was dissension in that church. There was an exalting of people with certain spiritual gifts, and therefore a demeaning of people that didn't have the big public gifts. They had the behind-the-scenes gifts. And so he says love should be our chief aim, uh, that the gift of tongues, the ability to speak and even preach in a language one has never studied. Without love, he says, it's like a, a clanging cymbal or noisy gong. Even the gift of knowledge, which is impressive when you see someone that, or hear someone teach and they have this tremendous knowledge of the things of God, even supernatural knowledge from God. He says, without love, if it's not accompanied with love, by comparison, it's nothing. And even faith, a person may have the faith to move mountains, but if, it's, if it has not love involved with it, by comparison, it's nothing. Even generosity and benevolence and even offering myself up as a martyr in Jesus' name, without love, he says, by comparison, is nothing. And maybe we don't have the specific issues of the church at Corinth, but in churches today and in our church, we can begin to glamorize things that are not important. 
ultimately important anyway. Uh, we Things that we say, boy, now that, that's really, really spiritual right there, or that person, or that knowledge. And without love, he says, by comparison, that's nothing. Then in verses 4 to 7, last Sunday, if you were here, we looked at the description of love, that love is patient and kind and it places itself at the disposal of others. It's willing to get involved at its own cost. It's not trying to impress. It's not self-centered. If you love another person, you don't use them just to build yourself up. It's not easily angered or provoked. It has a long fuse. It, it's not ready to take offense at everything that, that's said to, to a loving person. It does not keep an account of wrongs committed. It does not delight in evil and so forth. Now, if you left that sermon and you thought, you know, that's pretty high standard for love. I'm, I'm down here, but that's way up here. Well, that's the way it should affect you and me. Because Paul has set a very high standard that is only fulfilled in God himself. We may have moments where we're patient or kind or so forth, but 24-7 all the time, he has set a high standard. And when I was in college, uh, one of the things I studied that I really, really enjoyed was classical guitar. And so for a few years, I had, there were about, well, I had the best teacher in, probably in the southeast and the, definitely in the state of Alabama, but his name was David Walbert. And David was a tremendous uh, classical guitarist and had played all over the world and and he was a tremendous teacher. Well, there also was at that time a guitar major. You could be a music major and you could, you could focus on guitar. And so I, though I was not that, the guys with me were. And so he formed this, this group of about five of us that would play these classical guitar pieces. And one day we were all in his office and we were talking about the, the theme green sleeves, you know, what child is this? That very, and, and I'd heard Charlie Bird the, the great jazz guitarist from years gone by. If you know what a Gibson Birdland guitar is, you know where it got its name. I'd heard him do an arrangement of green of green sleeves on a on a Christmas Carol album one time, and so I'd I'd learned it and I I played this for David and the other guys, and then the other guys said, "Well, I've got a different version," and they played that. And David was sitting there listening, and most of typically he would only play to show us what to do, and then he said, "Here, let me see that guitar." He said, I came up with an arrangement some time ago. It's been years since I played it. Well, he played this arrangement, and it went quiet in the room, and the rest of us all looked at each other. And what we had been playing before suddenly sounded like kindergarten, and he was in graduate school. And what had he done? Inadvertently, just without, without words, he had raised the bar so much higher. Well, Paul here is taking love, and he's describing it, and without necessarily applying it to our particular lives, he's, he's giving us a description where we see, whoa, oh, that's what you're talking about. That's what love is. This is far beyond what I can do in my own power in relating to another person in the church or in a family or with children or whoever it might be. So he describes real love here. Now let's look at verses 8, let's, following the last part of this, of how love is permanent. He just says love never ends. Literally, it means it never erodes. It never collapses. It never fails. 
never here refers to time. That is, through eternity, love will never end. This is, this is the love of God. If there was any confusion about whether he's describing just human love here, that's cleared up at this point. Because only God can have love through life, death, and eternity as, as we know it. Human love does fail. I mean, you think how easily our human love for one another can be eroded. We're fickle, and we are limited in our emotional capacities. I mean, have you ever felt that, look, I am so stretched, I I can't give anymore. I don't have any more love to show to another person. And if you're in a giving profession that's very people-centered, you that are teachers or nurses, or waitresses, or salespeople, if you're in a people-intensive business, then you know what it's like to leave work and say, I can't look at another person, I can't listen to another word being spoken, I, I am just empty. I, I can't fix someone else's problems. So our love has limits because of our capacity. We don't have the capacity to love completely like is described here. We get physically worn down, emotionally worn down. I have a, know of a couple that I've known for 40 years, and uh, I grew up with, the, this couple married, and I, I grew up with the wife near her family in the same neighborhood. And uh, I knew the, the husband in college quite well, and then after college they married and they had several children together, but both came from horrendous backgrounds, uh, really horrendous. Physical abuse, suicide, it, 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 was, uh, it was shocking if you had asked them to describe their immediate families and things that had gone on. Well, their marriage had uh, tumultuous problems, and one of the things that they had, in seeing a counselor in Atlanta, they... Um, the counselor said, you know, when I listen to you both, your lives are so uh, scarred and hurt that I think of you like two people that are sitting in a room, and it's a small room, and there's a wall right there, and on the other side of the wall is a raging fire. And you know that fire is about to come through that wall to where you are. And the other person is sitting, and they've got a raging fire. And you both are so conscious of those fires, meaning things that have happened in your life, that you, you find it next impossible to turn your attention toward each other because of all this that's happening. You, you kind of have an ominous feeling today. I know we've got some South Floridians here with us today, but I kind of woke up this morning and think, what's going to happen? If you're watching the Weather Channel right now, I'm not, I'm not tricked, you know. I, you're not reading the Bible on text. I know what you're doing, okay, but I mean... But this is your reprieve from the Weather Channel during this right now. But if we're preoccupied, so my point is we have limited capacity to love others. But this love never ends. Uh, And he mentions these three gifts, these gifts that they held in such high esteem, tongues and prophecy and knowledge. They were so impressed with these. And and these are impressive uh, in in any, any age. But he says there'll come a time that these gifts will become irrelevant. They'll be swallowed up in eternity. There'll be no need for prophecy, the proclaiming of truth in heaven. 
There'll be no need for that. There'll be no need for the missionary gift of tongues, of speaking in languages a person doesn't know, who's never been taught. There'll be no need to have a great Bible teacher at that time. So he says, these will pass away. You won't need them anymore. But love will continue. You really believe God loves you with an everlasting love? You believe what he said through Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 3? I have loved you with an everlasting love, a love that will never fail, that will never diminish and erode and come to an end. Nothing can stop that, that love that he has. And that's why John in 1 John chapter 3 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And he starts off and he says, see, behold. We only say behold or look at something unusual. We don't take a look. Look at that tree that you see every day. No, we say, look at that eclipse of the sun. Look at this thing that's unusual. And he's saying, look at the everlasting love of God that he's lavished upon us. Do you really believe that? If we understand the depths of God's love, there would have been no need to call such attention to it. That's why the passage, when Justin led us earlier and we heard the passage from Ephesians chapter 3, it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that they would have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Our knowledge is partial, but it will be made full. And then he gives these vivid illustrations about how things progress from a small state to a fulfilled state. He refers to childhood. When I was a child, I thought as a child. I spoke as a child and so forth. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's the normal progression. We have a grandson whose birthday, third birthday, is today, right? I got to the first service. I said it was yesterday. They were having a party yesterday, and she was going to video it. But there, we couldn't be there. But our grandson, Bennett, who is, who is all boy, I know that's not politically correct today, but he's all boy, okay? He's rough and tumble. He's got a brother who's a little bit older, and they wrestle and they fight. And, I mean, they just have a great time together. So Barbara said, what are we going to get him for a gift? And I, I, my boyhood kicked in. <laughs> said, we're not getting him a game. We're not going to get him something he has to think about. We're going to get him something he can hit with. So I went to Walmart the other night, and I found the perfect gift. But I had to put myself back in the mindset of a little boy. And I found this big plastic workbench, Black & Decker, battery-operated drill, battery-operated miter saw. Sounds just like it. even has sawdust that flies around in it. Hammer, saw, you name it. He can beat things to his heart's content. I said, that's what he wants. He will love that. And then I had a smaller gift, boxing gloves. (laughs) But they're the type, you fill them up with air, so they're real big. But, I mean, they they will be in hog heaven uh, when they get those, he and his brother, today. Now, what, what what if I heard, hey... Let's buy a gift for old Bruce Light over here, you know. Hey, Bruce, I got you this plastic workbench, you know. See the drill? It's battery-operated. It even sounds like a real one. 
When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. What's Paul saying? There's a progression. There's a maturity that comes. And then he uses another one, a mirror. He said, uh, now we see in a mirror dimly. Now the mirrors we have, you know, that we use that are very clear, those, are, those came, from what I've read, came about in the 13th century, the type mirrors we have now. Back in Paul's day, you would take a piece of metal, uh, uh, bronze or, or, or copper, something like that, and they'd shine it up. But even at its best, it was very distorted. You didn't have near the picture or the clarity, the reflection like you have today. So he's saying now, it's like looking in, present day, it's like looking in a mirror, but it's distorted. But the day will come when we will see everything clearly. And he says, we shall know as we are known. Now think of the person, and I do want you, don't say it out loud, but think of the person right now that you know better than any other person. Whether it's a close friend, if you're married, if it's your spouse, whoever it might be, a childhood friend that you still see that y'all known each other for 40, 50 years. Now, think about this. For me, it's my wife, Barbara. Now, even with me saying that is the person I know the best of anybody else on the planet, I only see some of her actions. I can only guess at some of the motivations. I do not know her inner thoughts. My knowledge is not full. It is not complete. It is very, very limited. And Paul says, we at that time, when we go to be with the Lord, shall know as we are known. By whom? By God, who knows everything about us, according to Psalm 139, who wove us together in our mother's womb. So these analogies, the child, the mirror, knowing as we are known, is saying that what's going on in this life is just a prelude for what's going to come. It will be fulfilled. There's a natural progression moving in that direction. Now, I've got to answer a side question, and, and that is people think, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything based on this. Now we know in part, but then we shall know in full. In other words, we will be like God in that we will be omniscient, knowing all. That's, not, that's really not what's being said here. Uh, if, I can't recommend high enough Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. And he had this quote saying, God alone is omniscient. When we die, we'll see things far more clearly and we'll know much more than we do now, but we will never know everything. So the language Paul is using is not that, that we will know everything, it's that what we know will be fuller. It will be clearer. It, we will not have misconceptions. Our knowledge will be full at that point. It doesn't mean suddenly we'll know everything that there is to know. There will be learning to continue in heaven. Well, we come to the last verse. We prepare to come to the Lord's table, and the best-known verse in the entire passage, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's why love is the greatest, because there'll come a time when faith and hope are no longer needed, because they will be fulfilled. If you're a believer in Christ, you have faith. You trust in what he did, who he was, 
that he lived a perfect life, that he died as a substitute for others on the cross, that he was raised from the grave, that he ascended to the right hand of God. And we have faith in that and trust in that. And we have hope that he said he will come again and he will take us to be with him where we will be forever. We hope in that. But when it happens, there'll no longer be a need for faith. We'll not have to have faith in the past or in the future. There'll no longer be a need for hope because it will be fulfilled. But there will always be a need for love. And so these three, the three chief virtues in the Bible, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love because it will continue. You ever notice how love will motivate a person to do something that threats will not motivate them to do? Uh, money won't motivate them to do, punishment won't motivate them to do. When God sent Christ, it was his choice. And it was motivated by love. It was not out of obligation. It it was not uh, out of uh, anything other than love. Love will do things others, other motivations will never do. I told you some time ago about... um, an account I heard that was read by Dr. Eric Fusher. Uh, to tell you how many years ago it was, I mean, this was when our soldiers had arrived in Iraq. And Dr. Fushi was a major in, in our armed services in, our, in Iraq, and he, he told about this particular incident, that their unit would patrol a certain area of Iraq, and in that area there were various villages, and there was one particular village they would go through, and he said it was very poor, very poor. Now, he, being from Texas, knew of an elementary school back in Texas that was collecting children's clothes, and he contacted them and said, would you send them over here? And they sent these boxes of clothes And they also sent something he wasn't expecting. They had collected stuffed animals for children. Well, these things arrived in these boxes, and so the soldiers went out on patrol, and when they gave out the clothes to the children in these villages, they pulled out these stuffed animals. Children, they said, had never seen anything like that. So here's a little stuffed dog, here's a stuffed cat, here's a stuffed lion. And they just went crazy. They're jumping up and down with joy when they see these things. The next day... They are going back on the same road. The unit is. They're on the same patrol. And they're coming to, they're approaching that same village again. And they look up ahead of them, and there's a little girl standing in the middle of the road. And she's got this stuffed lion that she had gotten the day before. And she's just going like this. And she's hugging on the lion, and she's got her eyes closed, and she's standing there still. And they're looking, and they're saying, the road's narrow, and they're saying, she's right in the middle. What are we going to do? And so they're getting closer and closer, and she's still standing there doing this. And they radio back to the base and said, look, here's the situation. What do we do? And they said, look, you do not stop under no condition. Not, do you stop? You do what you can to avoid her, but do not stop that patrol. And so they, they're coming up, and they're saying, all right, listen, they're going about 25 miles an hour, and so they, they pull over on the shoulder enough, and they, they go just where she, because she's still not moving, she's doing this, and when they go by, they see that she is straddling something, and it's an IED, an improvised explosive device, that someone the night before, knowing that patrol would come back through there, had planted, and that little girl, out of love to make sure that none of them were hurt, stood right there where they couldn't drive over. 
Love will do things from a motivation that nothing else will do. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we approach a passage like this and we see how far we fall short, even in loving others. And yet you don't leave us discouraged and down. You offer to fill us with your spirit and carry out that love through us as fruit of his spirit. So we pray that you would do that here in our midst, in our families, to those around us, our neighbors, to those far away. And we pray that and give you thanks and praise that your love is everlasting and it will never end. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.